Welcome to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton and I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil of Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport and Salford and beyond? Yeah, certainly. It's been a, another good weekend, Rob, has it? Well, not a great weekend for our local sides, but an exciting weekend nonetheless. There's been plenty going on, especially in the world of rugby league. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah. So, obviously, the Super League season for Salford ended on Friday night. Defeat to Catalan Dragons at the Salford Stadium. They went down eight points to 19. Talk us through it, Paul. Yeah, it was um, it was a tough game. You know, Catalans are a, are a good side. They, they, were, they were battling for top spot as well, weren't they? They've been very consistent throughout the season. Um, they've got, you know, a relentless pack of forwards that are a huge and a, and a really good quick back line as well. You know, look at Johnston on the wing and Davis on the other side. Sam Tonkin's at fullback, Tyrone May and and um, Pierce at half-back, so they've got a really strong side. But Salford, I thought, did really well in the first half. It was a funny game because it, it rained sort of just before the, the kick-off in, in the first half, so the pitch was very, very greasy, and there was an awful lot of mistakes from both sides early on in the, in the first half. But, you know, eight points to two at the break, we weren't doing too bad. And, and I thought, as the second half started, we came up with a... It, it was obvious Paul Rowley had, had brought the troops at half-time because they'd come up with a renewed energy in the second half, and Ben Elliwell got that try, I felt... Catalans were were nervous and they were on the ropes a little bit really and um, for me Salford lacked a bit of composure then they tried to score on every play when it was eight apiece and it wasn't the sort of weather for that you know it was possession it was gold really and that's what they should have treated it like but they were they were a bit cavalier and you know knock-ons and, and, and Catalan got back on the front foot and their big pack you know Meekin and Bousquet we couldn't hold them really and, and they punished us and, and wore us down and got the victory so I thought it was a great effort. It was a mammoth effort from from the team, but just um, the story of our season, really, just uh, a bridge too far, and we 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 just couldn't hang on to uh, uh, to get a result. Yeah, you talk about uh, errors, Paul. That first half, I don't think I've seen the Salford side make that many errors regarding knock-ons and and not completing sets um, this season. I mean, Paul Rana must have been tearing his hair out. I know it's Rowley ball and he likes to promote the ball and he likes to move the ball, but sometimes you've just got to make sure you keep hold of yep. it and, and put pressure on Catalan Dragons, which didn't happen. Yeah, we talk about that Rowley ball. And do you know what? I mean, since early doors in the scene, particularly after that St. Helens defeat, we haven't really seen much of that. I mean... They had some good wins at the start of the season, and then I would say the wheels have come off. But we've we've not really been at that level. Uh, we've tried it in, in games, and it, it didn't come off. And it didn't come off on Friday night. There was an awful lot of passes that went down. You know, we tried little things, but the end of sets were poor. I think it was one where we went wide, and, and Brody Croft probably should have kicked it and didn't. And then Dion Cross kicked it when he probably shouldn't have kicked it, and just things like that where the, the last tackle play doesn't come off. We force a pass and. You know, it, it doesn't always work. And I think with our sort of limit limitations in the forwards, we've probably got to play that sort of game because we're attacking from deep, really. So I don't know. It's it's not worked as much this season. I think I think in a way we've let ourselves down in certain matches and probably, we probably should have made that top six. I think there's no doubt about that. But, you know, it's it's been difficult to, to make it. You know, going that run where we, we lost quite a lot of games on the spin didn't help us. But uh, but yeah, I think we've lost a lot of close games and games we probably should have got something from. 
But, you know, lack of composure and mistakes and silly penalties have, have hampered us all season. I mean, I think there's a stat floating about regarding penalties given away. And I think we're by far the most penalised side by a long way as well. So that's something we need to, to stamp out for next season. But I don't think the effort of the players could ever be questioned. I think they've, they've worked the socks off this season and, you know, done it tough, you know, especially in the forwards, you know, with, with the amount of players that we've had to pick from, really. It's been it's been pretty sparse. So, um so yeah, it's been, it was difficult. It was disappointing to miss out on the on the top six, but uh, but no, it was just 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 one of those seasons where we just couldn't make it. Yeah, Ben Helliwell was Salford's only try scorer on Friday night. He's been uh, fantastic for us this season, uh, Paul. Sort of underrated, I think. He's coming to the Salford side and proved his uh, waiting goal. Yeah, he's a player that's been around the block, hasn't he? Another number of clubs, and he's seemingly found found it a bit of a home now at Salford. And he's a no nonsense player, but he's got a turn of pace as well. He's played at half back in his career as well, and I think in the centre as well. So he makes a really useful forward. He's probably not the biggest of men. I mean, if he was probably a stone heavier and a bit taller, he'd be an absolute world beater. But he, he puts a shift in every time he plays, and he, he when he comes off the bench or whether he starts, you know, he makes an impact. So uh, I've been very pleased with him this season. He's probably been. The unsung hero for me, if you had an award for that, he's definitely one of them. So, uh, yeah, he's had a good season, and you know he'll be a good player going forward again next season. Every player, every sort of squad needs a player like Ben in the team. You know, he brings that energy. Yeah. What was your highlights of twenty twenty three? To me, it was the early stages before before that St. Helens game. I thought we were going really well early doors in the season. I know we had a couple of defeats early on, but. You know, we we was flying really high, and we played some fantastic rugby. That that match at Hull, I thought, was outstanding when we won there. By I think we got sixty points there at Hull, didn't we? And uh, we absolutely took them apart. And it looked like we were going to be the same again. I think that was our sort of fourth game in of the season. You know, the opening night we won away at Lee as well, and you know it did look like a, a good start. But for me, we went to St. Helens on the back of four straight wins. And uh, we won at Leeds, I think, the week before St. Helens. And then we went to Saints. We were leading 12 nil at half-time. Everything was rosy in the garden. And in that second half, Saints scored 26 unanswered points and, and beat us. And after that, we didn't see the same team after that. You know, we lost Shane Wright. And I think that defeat took a lot out of us, both physically and mentally. And, you know, I, I, th- I still think the whole game was it was outstanding. It was great to see that. And um, we've had some good wins there along the way, but we've had some disappointing ones as well. Yeah, what was your biggest uh, regret or upset of 2023? I thought the Wakefield away game was atrocious. I thought we we went to that game and we looked beaten before we went out. And, and that was another another defeat where we probably should have got something from that game. Um, you know, they were they were poor at the time. They weren't playing very well and, and they turned us over there. And ultimately, that, that two points, you know, could have seen us in the top six. So... That that was a disappointing result. That and that that was in that run of, of of poor defeats, wasn't it? I think that Wakefield game. Can't remember who we played the week before that. We we went on a bad run. We lost it against Ulkeir in the cup. And before that Ulkeir cup game, I think we was eight from from nine or something like that. Then we lost to Ulkeir. We lost those those home games as well, didn't we? And then there was the drubbing in France. So I, I think the Ulkeir cup game was probably the. The downside of the season, really, because that that took the wind out of our sails, and then the, the Wakefield game the week after was was a, it was a really poor defeat. So, uh, so yeah, we've had some good wins, but we've had plenty of disappointing uh, games as well. Mm. You were also a bit of disruption off the field with the Red Rice Together campaign. It was fantastic. The fans all got together and raised three hundred thousand pounds plus to help the club continue to function and grow. Yeah, and and we've seen. 
you know, quite a bit of that. I mentioned on the podcast of the week about the, the huge posters I saw in, you know, billboard posters I've seen floating about, particularly the one in Rochdale, which was very impressive. Um, and I think the crowds have, have been on the up. I saw a stat the other day where our average crowd has gone up quite a bit. I think it was up a fair few hundred, about 500 on last season, up to about 5,300. It was better than Huddersfield. It was better than Wakefield and a, I think another club as well. So we, we're not... We're not the worst supported club in the in the league anymore, and you know I think that's that's a good stat to have. That you know, particularly better than Huddersfield. You know, when you think about where they've been, you know, to Wembley last season and the signings they've made, I think we've punched above our weight and um, done well at home. We've had some good uh, good crowds, some good home games, some good atmospheres. You know, off the field as well. You know, these event days that we've put on. So, so yeah, I think the the club's going in the right direction. What they need to do now is is really sell it in the close season. Now, hopefully, we get some new signings in, some excitement in there, and. Uh, you know, really, really go for it next season. Yeah, obviously, you know, we're looking back at the the season. You know, we've had the good times and we had the we had the bad times. Also, player um, outs. Tyler Dupree went to Wigan. We lost, you know, two or three other players. You know, retiring or, or moving on. It's been uh, sort of a testing season season for Paul Rowley. Yeah, we've had a few injuries and suspensions as well, haven't we? So. I think the the match I was talking about before the Wakefield game and was away. I know we were disappointed that night, but we're probably missing a fair few few players that night as well. So uh, that's been difficult. He's he's probably had to shuffle the pack around a few times, you know, um, with suspensions to King Von Iyo. He's been banned a couple of times. Partington got banned. Singleton then got banned, and Watkins has had a couple as well. So that's not helped us. But losing. Um, you know, Dan Sargent early on in the season, he was a real vocal character and a very experienced character in the team. I thought it was a, it was a hammer blow. Then Tyler Dupree going was another one, losing Shane Wright to injury. Shane Wright was in outstanding form before he got injured. And, you know, that talk about that whole game. He scored two tries that day and he was absolutely magnificent. So he's been a big miss for us. So I know we brought Brad Singleton in, who's been, you know, a real tower of strength for us. So um, it was good to see Brad coming in. But, you know, really, we just ran out of troops, really. So, um you know, you, it's, it's a difficult competition, Super League, when you've got a real, you know, a squad of not much more than 20, 22, 21, 22 players. And when you when you like that, you, you really are, you, you're not getting the, the, the most out of your team because you know, players are, are shattered, you know, players are suspended, you, you're changing things around and it, it's difficult, isn't it? So um, I think they've done well considering, uh, you know, uh, the size of the squad, definitely. What happens next in 2024? Obviously, Salford will be looking to get back into the playoff spots, just missing out this time. Um, where does Paul Riley go from here? You've got to be smart with your recruitment, Rob. Hmm. Um, the main thing. I know James Greenwood and Reese Williams have left this week. There's two players that have gone. Um, you know, they've both been fringe players, really. I mean, Williams has, has done well when he's been in his, his super player, really, Reese Williams. I feel a bit sorry for him. I think he's been great at Salford. James Greenwood, disappointing, really. It, it, not through no fault of his own, to be honest with you. I think he's been hampered by injuries and we've been really, really unlucky. And I hope he gets another club and, and gets to continue his career because it's a shame when you see a player struggling with injuries. Been at Salford for four seasons, I think, and, and not played many games at all. So, Andrew Dixon and, um, and, and Andrew Sidlow are another two players who've hardly played for Salford. So, if these players are going to move on, we need to bring players in and we're going to get a bit more out of, really. So, I think if there's players leaving, we've got to replace them with with people that you're going to get the best out of and, and people that are going to fit into Paul Rowley's plans because you don't want players sat on the sidelines who, who are not playing because they neither use their ornament, really, are they? So, uh, his, his recruitment's got to be smart. Yeah, obviously, I talk about players that are 8 out of 10. I think it's so important that Paul Rowley manages to recruit players who are 
good enough for Super League and are able to take the club forward. Uh, there's no point in just sort of filling the squad up with average Joe players who are just going to plod along and not take Salford to that next level because that's the important thing. Salford have to rise uh, to get into that sort of top six spot uh, and unfortunately this team we have at the moment isn't good enough so we do need more to get in. Well yeah when you look at it Rob you've got to, some of the sides that finished below us this season Leeds, Huddersfield, Hull in particular um, I know Wakefield have got relegated Castlewood probably on a small budget as well, but the, the three sides I mentioned there, that their owners and people who run that those clubs are going to want to see something from them next season. They're, they're disappointed with this season. They're going to heavily invest. They've probably got the money to do so as well. So they're going to be looking to be better than they were this year. So there'll be pressure on them. So that pressure then comes on to us because we're going to have to perform to, to keep up with them. So, you know, um, I think we'll be okay though because we've got, the, we've got the makings of a good side. I think we're sort of two or three players short of being real challenges, really, uh, particularly in the pack. Um, you know, a few more forwards in there and, you know, experience as well. I think you've got that more strength and particularly your bench. I mean, our bench has been light last couple of weeks. You know, you need that impact coming off the, the bench. You know, when you're taking those props off, you need to be bringing players on who are going to give you that oomph and, and take you forward. Because if not, you're struggling to get out of your own half. You're kicking sort of from your own 20 or 30, back to the, the, your opposition and they're coming back at you. So you need to be making that ground down the field and that's how you can build. I heard somebody in the crowd say on Friday night, move the ball. And I thought, it's all right saying that, but you've got to get down the other end of the field and, and earn the right to move the ball, haven't you? You've got to do that spade work through your forwards. You're only as good as you pack. And uh, that's something where we, where we need to strengthen, definitely. Yeah, we spoke to Chris Atkin, Amir Borough, Oliver Parton and Danny Addy after the game is what they had to say. Right, I'd like to say for the final time, well, not for the final time, what is your opportunity to play in the playoffs, but Chris Atkin joins me. A real tough season, that Chris. Isn't cutting that to not make that top six? Yeah, hugely. Um, obviously, you know, you look back at last year and how well we did, you know, making the playoffs and we were so close to something special. Um, and this year, that was our goal, to make that top six and give ourselves every chance. So, you know, to, to not make the top six and, and kind of finish the season in that way. I know obviously it wasn't in our hands in the end, um, but it's still probably disappointing that that probably sums up our season uh, tonight. How difficult has it been? Because when you start the season really well, but injuries has took its toll on the squad and you know, other things as well. It is a small squad. It's difficult, isn't it, to keep going? But I think like tonight, your commitment to the cause is never... You know, it's never in question, is it? Really, I mean, Catalans were massive there, pack, but you just kept tackling them and kept doing your job. Must be, must be difficult for you, you know, against all odds coming out every week. Yeah, it's obviously difficult. We can look back at different things through the season, whether it's injuries or results or decisions, and and um, you know, probably try and find a reason why we didn't make the playoffs. But ultimately, it's the squad that we've got is good enough. Everyone in that squad is is a Super League player, and we we strive to be better each week and, and do it for each other but um, like we said unfortunately there's only six teams that can kind of get in that um, playoffs uh, so you know, we're really really disappointed with, with that and you know we're not going to necessarily look for excuses we've got to try and switch off recover and regroup and again I think we, we've moved forward in some areas um, and then in others we've let ourselves down so we've got to find that right balance. 
it's fine margins sometimes, isn't it? I think there's been a lot of games down here this season where you, people say, oh, you, you need to win your home games, you need to be good at home, you've lost a lot of narrow defeats, and ultimately they're, they're what cost you at the end of the day, aren't you? You've got to make your home a fortress, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. We've got to make it a tough place, and I think from last year we, we probably built a, a reputation that it would be tough to come in and, and on teams to get a win, and we put, yeah, like I said, we let ourselves down at times. Um, but we want to, you know, say we want to make this place the, a tough place to come and really win our home games, and that puts you in, you know, a position where you can pick up those away wins um, like we have done this season and, and put ourselves. And obviously, there's a few games that, you know, we could we could pick out or single out that if we win them and our incidents in those that we'd be in a different position. But ultimately, everything's in our hands at the, t- at the time, and it wasn't wasn't enough. I think you can hold your head high, Chris. I think you've done excellent this season along with the lads. How are you going to spend the off-season? Are you looking forward to a bit of time? Because it's tough on your body. I mean, how's your body holding up? Yeah, it's holding up. Obviously, it's been a been a tough season. I think I've um, you know, been involved in every game this season. You in text some hammer as well, don't you? My dad always says that. You always text plenty of hammer, Chris, in the games. And you do, don't you? Yeah, I try to, obviously, you know, get stuck in and, and do the job that the boys need me to do and that Rolls and, and Ags want. And sometimes, obviously... It's not been quite there, I don't think for myself personally this year, um, for whatever reason. But I, you know, I'll, 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 like you said, I think the squad will always put ourselves forward, will always put ourselves on the line and, and kind of die for each other out there and give it 100% and that can never be questioned. So um, that's that's a good place to start. And then we've just got to fix all the, the small stuff out. But it's obviously not small, it's it's really the, the, the main parts of what could be a successful team. You're here next season. How, how long have you got left on your contract now? Uh, so I've re-signed this year for another two years. So I've got next year in the year. So we won't say looking forward to it. You need a bit of time off now, mate. But thanks for all the interviews and speaking to us this season. All the best, mate. No, it's been a pleasure. Year, and, uh, yeah, thanks for everything that you and and the guys do with the, the podcast. Oh, Obviously, it means a lot for all the fans and you know for the lads helping the club. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Means a lot. Thanks, buddy. So I'm joined by Danny Addy. Defeat today. Talk us through it. <clears throat> yeah, obviously we're gutted. It. Everybody's gutted out there. Um, even though we didn't know what the Warrington score was, still want to win. And um, yeah, just want our night. Yeah, obviously didn't make the playoffs, but it, you know it's been a good season. Lots of highs and lows. What were your personal highlights? Um, just just playing really. You know, I've said it from the start. I, look, I like it here and. Um, just to play with a good group, I call them a lot of my close mates, you know what I mean? Um, travel from Yorkshire with, with three of us every single day. Um, yeah, everybody just gutted, but can't dwell on it now. Obviously, 2024 will be a big season for us and for yourself. Opportunity to put right a few wrongs. Yeah, um, just see what happens, yeah. Um, obviously, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but... Um, have to wait and see. No matter what, yeah, it's a great club and um, just great people, great coaching staff, and a lot of my best mates. So I wish I wish them nothing but best, but we'll see what happens. Brilliant. Cheers, for talking right. to us. Thanks Cheers, for mate. 2023. And I'll see you soon. So I'm joined by Oliver Partington. De- defeat tonight. How'd you feel? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to take. Like I said, in the said in the field, it's gonna gonna hurt for a while, and um, I think it kind of helps us to know that I think Warrington won. So. We hadn't done enough early enough in the year, I think, so it's just a kick in the balls, really. Yeah, obviously, not made the playoffs, but you look back at the season, we've had some good times, we've had some bad times. What were your sort of personal highlights? Um, Magic Weekend win was, was a big one for me. I really enjoyed that that win. I, I think just the group, it, I was coming into this group and trying to prove myself to them and myself really try and kick on a bit, and I feel like I've, I've played some good rugby 
and the teams the teams play well we've just, just not been clinical in that final that final pass or it's just a one thing off and it's them defeats early on in the year with that by a couple of points were just have just really hurt us at the back end of the year. Yeah, obviously, you know, moving on to next season, 2024, big season for us, obviously, after this season's defeat. Ready for it? Yeah, definitely. It's going to, like I said, it's going to hurt for a while and uh, we'll use that for pre-season and, uh, and then for next season. And you won the Hitman of the Year as well? Yeah, Hitman and Players Player, I think it was. Did yeah. you Have you got a, a big shelf to put it on? Yeah, I think it was still with my dad, that one. Brilliant. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for this season being brilliant. So I'm joined by Amir Borough defeat tonight. Talk us through it. Yeah, really disappointing. Um, obviously, you know, last game for us of the season now, um, regardless of what happened in the game um, over at Huddersfield, you know, we wanted to uh, we wanted to get the win for ourselves really, and just you know at least finish on a high and do everything we could do in our hands. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't, we couldn't get that done tonight, which you know it's a real shame, and I think the lads are the lads are hurting. What have you learned in in 2023? Um, I've learned I've learned a lot. Um, I think you know the group of lads that we've that we've got working with Ander, Rolls, Hags, Inu, you know they they all push me really hard and you know I'm already looking forward to pre-season, you know, to be working towards next year and hopefully not be having this feeling again and hopefully achieve higher things next year. Obviously, 2024 is going to be a big year for the club, big year for yourself. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's it's a bit of a, a mad one really now, just that we're done now. But uh, I don't feel like we were ready to be stopped yet. I think I think I think we need we wanted we wanted longer, we wanted to keep playing. Uh, but yeah, next year's you know we got to get a chance to do it all over again. Hopefully with a lot of the same lads. So. Um, hopefully we can give it another shot next year. Yeah. And obviously you can use that sort of frustration in pre-season and in 2024 because like you say the players who you know put the effort in the commitment was there unfortunately was that run mid-season when it the injuries as well and just drifted away unfortunately yeah we don't like to look we don't like to look for excuses um but yeah we, we've we've got stuff we can work on and i think the lads will be after a little break looking forward to getting back in and uh, getting to work together again brilliant thanks for talking to us well done for 2023 and we'll see you next season so obviously players disappointed that they've not made the playoffs, Paul, uh, but they've got an off-season now to reflect, uh, rest up and be ready for 2024. Yeah, I think, the, I think the players are really disappointed. I mean, anybody in sport, particularly in our sport of rugby league, you start the season and to me, your aim as a professional player is to do as best as you can and, and win a trophy because otherwise, what's the point of being in the sport? So, I think, you know, players want to challenge, they want to play at the best level they can do, don't they? And if you don't make that, that playoff, you, you, you're disappointed, aren't you? Because the way the playoffs are structured now, you're only going to win a couple of games and you're knocking on the door of a grand final, aren't you? So, I mean, we probably would have had to go to Catalan if we'd have finished in the top six, but, you know, you go there and backs against the wall and just go for it, don't you? So, they're probably disappointed they've not got that crack at it and it's been a long, hard season, hasn't it? And then when your season finishes, you've got to regroup and, and regather and and go again and you know me me speaking to Chris Atkin I got that feeling that he was absolutely heartbroken really they'd not gone all the way and I know you spoke to Ryan Briley as well didn't you after the game he won the Devlin and Detail Awards didn't he and what have you so um, he had a good season but you could hear the disappointment in his voice as well yeah players were disappointed but I'm sure they'll be able to 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 build on that disappointment and 
you know, rectify a few wrongs in, in 2024. Let's just quickly look through the other Super League results of the weekend. Warrington uh, went away and beat Huddersfield 20 points to eight. Uh, Paul, obviously, you know, we needed Huddersfield to do, do a win for us there, but unfortunately failed to do so, which meant we were out of the playoffs and they were in. Yeah, they've had a bit of a nightmare season on this field. I mean, we've lost an awful lot of home games and they've been, been probably one of the most biggest disappointments of the of the year, really, where they've finished. I mean, particularly when they come to Salford early on in the season and they, and they, they beat us quite comfortably at Salford. Um, and I thought they'd really kick on and make the playoffs, but they didn't. They, they didn't seem to be able to get the processes right and get find the right... Ian Watson couldn't really sort of find the right team and they've been they've been a major disappointment this season. Warrington, they were another up-and-down season. They were... I think they won the first eight and nine matches, didn't they? And then they just imploded. And you know, Daryl Powell moved on, and you know they've got Gary Chambers there at the moment, who's their sort of um, interim coach. They've scraped into the playoffs, but you look at them now; they're six in the playoffs. Could they be dangerous? Because they've got a decent squad. You know, they've got a big squad. They've got St. Helens in the playoffs. If they went, if they were to go to St. Helens and get a victory, then you're one game away from a grand final, aren't you? So. You know, they could be that wild card that we were last season. So I wouldn't count them out at the moment. You know, they're in there. They've got a chance, but they've been disappointed, particularly in the second half of the season. Let's have the other fixtures. Leeds beat Casford 46-0. The, the big game of the week. Uh, Wigan beat Lee away at 10 points to six. Obviously, a lot of controversy in that game uh, with the referee, uh, video referee. I've not seen it, Robert, I believe so, yeah. Uh, what was the controversy about? Was it Wiggins' tries? Yeah, they basically, no, I think it was a, a Lee try that they didn't, they weren't able to give because they couldn't see it right. because of the camera angles. Yeah, I've not I've not seen that. I do believe it was a, a very, very hard-fought game and it sounded, you know, going off the scoreline as well. And, you know, it'd probably make a good grand final, that Wigan against Lee, wouldn't it? And it, that could probably still happen. They've had an amazing season. Lee, haven't they, finishing fourth? They'll be disappointed, though, because they got leapfrogged by Hulkingston Rovers, didn't they? With Hulkingston Rovers, that hammering they give Wakefield. So, Hulk are, are at home to Lee in the playoffs now. And I wouldn't fancy going there because that, that's, a, that's a big... A big change. That I mean, Lee would have fancied beating Hulking's Rovers at their own ground, but now having to go away, that's that's a, a totally different sort of uh, a different kettle of fish now going to Hulking because that's a that's a mammoth task going winning there. Yeah, uh, Set Allen's beat Hull thirty points to twelve, and Hulking's Rovers beat Wakefield fifty six points to twelve. Yeah, as I said, good win for Hulkingston Rovers. They're the form team at the moment. I think they'll be dangerous. I mean, you won't back against them going all the way. Um, they're going to be definitely definitely difficult to beat at, uh, at Craven Park. St. Helens are another side that are uh, are on the up at the moment, aren't they? And, and Hull FC, I think we've mentioned before, have been uh, this season's uh, disappointment. So Super League playoffs start this uh, week. Um, what are you looking forward to the most? Which ties? Well, there's two games this week. I think they're all Kingston Rovers against Lee. I think it's the Friday game. That'll be a cracking match. That between those two, you know, they played an epic Challenge Cup final between each other. Hull KR. Uh, battered Lee, didn't they, a few weeks ago in the league. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one. I think it's Saints and Warrington's on the Saturday. So that, that'll that be a good game as well. You know, the pressure's on St. Helens there. The, the pressure's not really on Warrington. So they've got a, a chance to just go there and play the rugby. So that should be a really exciting game as well. So uh, looking forward to that one. Yeah, let's talk about our other local side, Swinton Lions. They were in action uh, on Sunday and beat Halifax 22 points to 12 away from home, uh, cementing their place in the championship for 2024. Um, obviously, after a difficult season, uh, they managed to stay up, which is great for all the Lions. 
Yeah, it just reminds me of that film, The Great Escape, with Steve McQueen. <laughs> I think Steve McQueen's uh, Alan Coleman isn't he? riding off on his motorbike <laughs> after uh, after that result because you know they looked dead and buried last week and. Um, well, particularly, I think they, they lost um, oh, a really tight game the other week. I can't remember who it was against now. And then, uh, was it the Keefley game? Mm. And then they, last week they played uh, Whitehaven and, and got a result, didn't they? Um, a, a late drop goal. And then they had to go to, I was looking at the table this morning, and they went to Halifax today. Whitehaven was second bottom and, and, and looking like they were down with um, Newcastle. And then you looked at the table and thought, well, they're not really because you've got Keefley and, and Swinton who, who had to if they were to lose, they had to lose by less than five to, to stay up. Otherwise, they'd have dropped below Whitehaven. So you thought, blimey, Halifax are going for the playoffs. So Halifax mm-hmm. had to win to get six plates. And Swinton have gone there and, and had an, an excellent win, haven't they? So uh, full credit to them to go there and turn Halifax over. been an excellent side at home this season. That's a massive win. And they've ended up finishing ninth, I think, in the end. They've, they've, they've shot right up there above, uh, above Barrow. So... Yeah, the great escape pulled off and congratulations to everybody at Swindon. They've got a new coach coming in next season. Um, they were looking at recruitment as well and, and exciting to be in the championship again. So, um, so yeah, a great result for them and I hope they're all having a, a good night on Sunday night. Yeah, Rodri Lloyd, uh, Nick Gregson and two from Mitch Cox was enough uh, to secure the championship status for Swindon Lions in 2024. So, that's all the Rugby League chat. And now we're joined by James Sweetenham. James, ready to talk all things sports in Salford and beyond? Absolutely, Rob. And it's interesting that you say beyond because I have an interview with a fighter called Chanel Dyer, who's participating in her fourth MMA bout this weekend in the French capital of Paris. She's a former Muay Thai world champion. She's a close friend of acting sensation Tom Hardy. And this is everything that she had to say. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Chanel Dyer. And the last time I spoke to you was in Poitiers, France, right after your <laughs> debut at Hexagon MMA. You put in a spectacular performance that night. I think you scared everybody in the arena <laughs> with that spinning elbow knockout. Life must have been absolutely crazy for you since then. Literally, like, straight after that, um, I had that fight. Like, my phone is blowing up. Like, I got so much hype off that fight. I literally thought I was famous. Like I've got so much attention. Like I've got um like um professional fighters from so many different organizations messaging me, bigging me up social media pages. Uh, so much promotions wanted to to sign me. Um, people wanted to fight me. It was like it literally just it was like the perfect debut. Like I couldn't literally could ask nothing more than that. So I've got to ask you, following on from that, you said that you had professional fighters sliding into your DMs to give yeah. praise to you. Come on, who was it? Who, what sort of names were sliding into your DMs to give you this sort of praise? Um, Derek Brunson messaged me. Wow, okay. I was, uh, randomly, he messaged me. I was like, oh, my name is actually Derek Brunson. And obviously, that usual, like, Molly McCann, um, she sent me, like, a really nice WhatsApp message. Um, Angela Hill, she messaged me as well. Like, so many different people. Just Tom Hardy, obviously, like, was, like, in my DMs. Just, like, it was mad. I was so happy. Molly McCann's a pretty crazy one, obviously, because you almost learnt that spinning elbow off her. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I actually went to Liverpool for a week um, and trained with her in that February. And then um, and she actually nearly got me with that elbow. Obviously, it was that play for sparring. And then she nearly got me with that elbow, so I basically just copied it off of her. And the, the, the mad thing about that elbow was, like, I'm not a huge fan of that spinning stuff. Like, I'm like, oh, spinning stuff works when it works, but most of the time it doesn't. And then like a week before my fight, I think that's when Shevchenko lost the fight from 
throwing a spinning back kick. So I was like to my friends, this is why spinning stuff doesn't work. And then a week later, I won my fight by spinning back elbow. And I was like, okay, it does. And it's fitting that you obviously landed that the last time you are in France. You're going back now yeah. to Paris. Obviously, the French crowd are going to be expecting big things in general from yourself. I spoke to Simeon and Dakota as well, and obviously they're going to France for the first time and they're excited, but you've been there yeah. before. They know this crowd that you're going to produce something big. I'm assuming you want to deliver for them too, yeah? 100%. Like, the French crowd, they're amazing. Like They literally blew off blew the roof off the place when I fought in in France in March like they love MMA from like the first fight to the end they gave the same energy and like I have a lot of French fans as well after that fight a lot of them started following me on social media a lot of French people started messaging me and I have a lot of French fans as well so I know a few of them actually going to to the Paris card to actually watch me um, specifically so that's amazing and I just want to kind of emulate the same thing I've done in March but to even in a bigger promotion in PFL, but without the elbow, because there's no elbows in PFL, but um, I'm going to come with the same damage. Regardless, I'm sure the PFL are extremely excited to have you representing their promotion. As you said, after that knockout in Hexagon, every promotion seemingly on the planet wanted a piece of you. Why did you land on PFL? Yeah, so as I said before, a lot of promotions wanted to sign me, um, but then in the beginning of the career, in the beginning of the year, me and my coaches and manager sat down. We didn't really want to sign anything too mad. I'm still young. We wanted to, to gain experience and get as much fights as possible this year and the next few years. And we didn't really want to knuckle down and settle for anything. Um, a lot of organisations wanted to sign me. Then PFL came on the table. And obviously, PFL, in the name itself, is that the biggest promotion in the world. So I really wanted to fight for them regardless. But then I sat with my coaches um, and just like I doubt our plan. And PFL came with like a proposition that I really couldn't say no to. Like um, for me, I'm only 22 years old. I have ages in this game as well. And I don't want to rush anything. I just want to take small steps to make it um, to the big league and make it as the best fight in the world. And I can really do that within PFL. Um, I'm fighting obviously in the undercard in, in Paris and the undercard in Dublin. And then I'll be in the European tournament next year. Then I'll go over go on to the American tournament, then I can do pay-per-views and, and carry on doing the tournaments. Um, so I'm going to be the best in the world following the structure in PFL. So that's one of the things I really like about PFL. I can really grow within the promotion and a sense of security as well because I know what, when I'm fighting and it's not like I'm, I'm chasing fights. I might fight once a year, twice a year. I know I'm going to fight these three times in a year and I know I can be my best in those three points of the year. So PFL is 100% the, the one for me. And obviously the moment you signed for PFL, European MMA on Twitter exploded with the news yeah. that you'd made that that big signature. But in the month prior, you were in Canada. So what were you doing out there? I was literally too, like, not going to lie, I signed the contract uh, for PFL. The second I knew I was signed for PFL, I booked a holiday to, to Canada like two weeks later because I knew that stuff would get hectic. Like it would, it was gonna get announced after when I came back from Canada and stuff would get hectic from there. So I just literally went to Canada for like a breather. Half my family lived there. Got to got to chill with them, um, and actually got to train in TriStar. Just like I'm a huge advocate of, of training in different places and catching so many different techniques from different people. So I went to TriStar in Canada. Um, met GSP as well. He's a legend. Um, trained with Fraser Harvey. Got so much. He elevated my jiu-jitsu so much. Um, just spending four weeks there so hopefully I'm going to try to go there next year so Canada was amazing trip away and the second I landed the day after they announced I got signed with PFL and everything kind of like 
blew up. And then I knuckled down from there. Um, I knew I was fighting soon, so basically started fight camp straight off the bat. That leads me on to the next question. You mentioned George St. Pierre there. Obviously, I'm assuming that he probably saw you knock out at some point. Did he have any yeah. advice for you? <laughs> not gonna lie, I was kind of nervous because I was in it. So I was kind of like, but he was so nice. He actually came up to me because I was just waiting for my turn to for a photo. And obviously, I had to kind of big up myself. I'm like, I've got spinning back elbows, show to him. <laughs> I'm like, I just got signed for the PFL. And he was like, he was really nice. I said, you're like an inspiration to me and other fighters as well. I want to do what you're doing, create such an impact that you've done. And I want to do that as well. And he was just like really nice. Um, and he trained with us as well every Mondays. He was in the car, just being around him, like energy wise, it's really like lifted me up. Like being a closer role model like that on the same level. So like, it's unbelievable. And now you're flying over to Paris for what's going to be a massive fight for you. Can you tell me a little bit about your opponent and how you're going to dispatch with her? Yeah, so my opponent, um, Lizzie, um, I actually saw her when I actually watched the PFL event in Newcastle in March. And I actually watched her live, but not going to lie, I don't really remember much about that fight. And that and that says a lot because nothing really standed out. Nothing. I knew these girls would be the type of girls I'd be fighting in, in the tournament, but nothing really stand, stood out to me. Nothing really worried me in sense that, oh, I need to maybe worry about that when the time um, I came to fighting them. So nothing. I actually watched a couple of her fights prior to this um, and nothing she does really phase me in a way. She's a judoka, um, judo black belt. I fought a lot of judo black belts and like various shows, Polaris, um, um, Cage Rose Academy, my amateur days. Um, and I'm really good at uh, nullifying takedowns in judo. Um, my wrestling is really good. My grappling is really good. Even though I'm a striker, I actually have really good grappling. I just don't use it. I prefer to be entertaining and sang and bang. That's what I want to do. So nothing she can do can really phase me. And after you hopefully get the win in this one, I know that you're pursuing these tournaments, which you want to go into, win, hopefully land a few spinning yeah. back elbows along the way. Well, potentially not with them being in PFL, but I'm sure you'll be able to find some sort of ridiculous yeah. knockout for yourself to land. But going on from there, another opportunity that could unlock being in the PFL through Francis Ngannou is an opportunity to fight in Africa. And I know that would yeah. be something you'd be interested in. That's definitely, that's literally like one of my dreams coming into MMA, like fighting Africa is like, obviously I'm African and fighting Africa would be like literally tick off my bucket list. That's one thing I want to do before I retire. And one thing that really bring my stocks and my legacy up is fighting in, in Africa and just being in the same conversation with that. Like, Francis Ngannou and PFL Africa like at this stage of my career it's, it's literally unbelievable and that's one thing I'm going to try to strive to achieve that I know I'm going to achieve just keep winning these fights and 100% it's going to happen it's going to be one of the biggest events if not the biggest event in the whole world I mean if you look at some of these African fighters we've had over the last few years from Israel Adesanya to Francis Ngannou Kamara Usman these amazing fighters who are paving the way for African fighters would you like one day for your legacy to be in the same sort of ilk as those guys? A hundred percent. I see what they're doing, where they came from and what they're doing now is that like, I want to emulate the same thing. Like, these are the people that I look up to and these are people that I want to be like on the same path as and like, even be even more than them. Um, I want to say is like, um, they're, they're, they're great fighters. They're, both, they're all from Africa and I can literally do the same thing as them. Absolutely. And Chanel, can you tell me a little bit about what you do outside of fighting? What are your hobbies? I know on your Instagram, I saw that you were just at the London Fashion Week. We must have been quite interested. <laughs> yeah, um, um, shout out Catch Right PR. They, they hooked me up with 
a lot of um, appearances. Um, I really love that. Um, but for me, literally, if it's not training, I'm literally just sleeping. <laughs> but, um, um, I'm a really um, avid um, anime fan. I really love anime. That's what I grew up with. I've probably watched 250, 300 plus anime. Um, I collect manga books. Like I have my belts behind me, but literally to the side of me, I have like 100 manga books. Um, I love that like, drawing manga and stuff like that. Um, so I'm really creative in that sense. I love drawing. I love um, reading manga and anime. And I really channel those stuff into my fighting as well. I'm re I'm literally, when I was younger, like anyone would ask me what I want to be when I'm older. I just wanted to be a real life anime character. And the closest <laughs> thing to do that was was fighting. Like literally every time I fight, I just feel like a real life anime character. This is, this is sick. I mean, you're one of the few people on the planet that's managed to pull off being a real life anime character. So congratulations <laughs> yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah, that is so sick. But Chanel, I'd like to thank you so much for speaking to me. It's great to have a catch up with you after last time in Poitiers. I wish you all the best of luck for your fight in Paris. But before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add that I perhaps haven't asked you about? Um, not for you. Just, just make sure you tune in to my fight September 5th in Paris. We'll be live on The Zone on TV. So make sure you watch it. I'm the first fight on the card. Make sure you watch my fight. Shout out Simeon. Um, he's putting the work in, in in the gym. Like he's coming for war. Like he's he's literally coming for this guy. He's not he's not losing this fight. So make sure you tune in to our fights. The whole card is stacked. Um, I'm I'm grateful to be on the card. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic to hear from Chanel. She's going to put in a big performance this weekend and hopefully bag another explosive knockout. But now it's time to move on to the world of boxing and talking explosive knockouts. Paul Zilly Zhang landed an absolute cracker against Joe Joyce. He certainly did. Um, I've seen it a couple of times, the punch over uh, the last sort of uh, 12 hours or so. And uh, yeah, I don't think anybody was going to uh, carry on from that. It was a fantastic punch. It really was. He he spotted the gap there and straight down the pipe. And, um, you know, Joyce wasn't getting up from that. I don't think anybody would have got up from that. It was a tremendous shot. I must say, I, I was a bit disappointed in Joe Joyce, really. I, I thought he should have seen that coming. To be honest with you, it was it wasn't the, the quickest shot. You know, it had a you know a postcode written on that one. You could see it from a mile off, but I don't know. It's the way he was carrying his hands. Really, his hands seemed really low, and you know that early in the fight as well. So no, he, he definitely got caught by by a shot there, and uh, a tremendous win for uh, Zhang. Very pleased for him as well. He seems a real character. He does, Paul. He does, Paul, and he's got this humongous fan base. I think yeah. twelve million people out in China, watched his last fight against Joe Joyce. Are we missing a trick here, not staging this guy's big fights in China? Yeah, definitely. You think about China as a country, James, and I mean, I'm no geography expert, but it's an absolutely huge country. And I think if you watch snooker and things like that, some of the Chinese snooker players that we've had, you know, it's it's a phenomenon over there. They really get behind the sporting heroes, don't they? And uh, very loyal people as well. So, yeah, I think you are missing a trick there. I'd, I'd give the, the, the lad a shot now, to be honest. His next fight should be in China and let the, the Chinese people really get behind him. And you know what? I tell you what, he deserves a shot at a world title, I think. No, I think he's earned it. And, um, you know, why not put him in there with somebody, you know, someone like Tyson Fury? Because he'd give them trouble. That amount of power that he's got, I think he'd trouble anybody. You know, um, he's got a decent record as well now. He's never been stopped. He's only got one defeat on his record. And, you know, the way he's dispatched uh, Joe Joyce twice, 
I don't think that's a fluke. I think he's he's definitely got something there now. I mean, I mean, I said to you, I think last week, you don't normally get the same script twice in these big fights. And I backed uh, Joe Joyce and, and I hold my hands up. You know, um, I didn't expect that. And I think he's done a, sm- a smashing job there and uh, full, re- full respect to him. So talking about Joe Joyce, what was the issue in here? Because he didn't seem to fix the mistakes from the first fight. Is Joe... Is- Big Bang Zhang just got a style that's utterly impossible for him to get his head around. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like I said before, I don't think Zhang's the quickest. You can sort of see his punches coming, but they're so powerful. You know, you don't know how much damage they're doing to do a fighter when they're landing. I think for someone like Joyce, you, you've got to see them coming. You've got to, you've got to block shots, haven't you? And uh, you've got to get out of the way of them, um, to be honest. But he seems to take everything on his chin. For me, looking at that fight, his hands look look low. You know that early in the fight, you can when you've gone twelve rounds with someone, your hands are going to drop because you're tired. But to me, he didn't look ready for that that shot, and he, he cleaned him out. You know, he looked more like a novice taking that that shot. You know, a pro fighter who, who's been around the circuit, you've got to do better than that, haven't you? I'm not taking anything away from Zang at all, but I'd be if I was Joel Joyce, I'd be very very disappointed in in that defeat and getting caught from that punch and I think he was because he, he didn't do any interviews afterwards did he I believe he was really really upset about the defeat and rightly so really because you've been been real tagged there off a, off a tremendous punch Yeah he, he most certainly had Paul and is this a case of Zhang's power getting the better of Joyce I mean let's be honest before this fight we thought he was pretty indestructible in terms of his chin or is his punch resistance that he's valued so much throughout his career, is it dwindling a little bit? Well, you, you could say that because the last fight wasn't that long ago, was it? And that last fight probably took a lot out of him, you know, confidence, physically and mentally, I think. I think you, you're a fighter and you're unbeaten and you, everybody's saying you've got a great chin and, and you, you believe that, don't you? And, and you, you take that you know, along in your life and then when somebody destroys you like that, how does that affect you mentally? Do you start questioning yourself? You start thinking, well, am, am I am I what people are saying I am? And then you get the chance to, to put that right in a rematch and the same thing happens to you again. It must it must be a crushing it must be crushing for him that. You know, if you'd have spoken to him after that fight on, on Saturday night, I think he'd have been absolutely devastated. And where does he go from here? I know he's ruled out retirement and don't think he should retire. I don't like it when boxers say things like that, you know, straight after a fight. I think he needs to regroup and there's things he definitely needs to work on. He's not getting any younger either. I think he's about 38 year old now, so he's not getting any younger. But I think you've got to give Zhang all the credit in the world. He's done a job twice against a really, really tough fight. I mean, you ask anybody who's fought Joe Joyce and they'll tell you how tough he is, how hard he is and, and how, how tough a chin he's got. And, and Zhang's dealt with him twice, so you can't ask for any more than that. You can't, Paul. And now looking at the futures for these two men, you said that you'd like to see Zhang get a big world title shot. He's now the mandatory challenger for Alexander Usyk. And I want to look at these two men's future in the context of Frank Warren promoting both men, as he does now. So there's an opportunity here for Frank to put another fighter of his in with Alexander Usyk, which could potentially delay a Fury Usyk fight even longer. So that's interesting. And then we could possibly have a big unification fight in-house if Zhang was to win that. And then for Joe Joyce, in a post-fight interview, Frank Warren said that he thinks that Joe Joyce should retire from the sport. And is that interesting when you look at the context of when Joe Joyce is winning, he's right behind him. And when he's not, he's ready to put him on the chopping block. 
Yeah, I think that happens a lot in boxing, doesn't it? You know, when you're riding high and everybody wants to, to be your friend and they're slapping you on the back and, and as soon as you get beat, people start to write. I, I did see a quote from Mark Efron recently and, and he, he was saying something very similar to that. You know, everyone was around him when he was winning and then he, he lost his fight and then you sort of know who your friends are sort of thing. And I think that happens in boxing, you know, at every level. And, um you know, I'd be disappointed if I was Joe Joyce. You want you promoting the people around you to to stick up for you. You don't want to be in your corner. You don't want to be written off after a defeat. But you know, sometimes boxers need to think hard because you know Joyce there. He's lost two two big defeats there, and your health comes first as well, doesn't it, James? And you know, you don't want him getting banged out again in his next fight. And he's, all this is doing damage to you, isn't it? That those those are big hits. That was a monstrous punch that he took. On, on Saturday night and uh, you know that's going to affect him Matt so uh, I, I still think he's got a lot to offer in heavyweight boxing I still think he's a good fighter but I don't know which road he needs to go down but but yeah a, a disappointment really in his, his promoter there because that's not what you want straight after the fight you don't want to hear those words to you straight after the fight you might think that but I don't think I'd come out publicly and say that and then the other big fight over the course of the weekend Conor Ben after over a year of inactivity over a year of a complete lack of transparency with the British public. He has not been cleared of taking performance-enhancing drugs, but he has been cleared to fight in the United States as of least. He returned last night, a unanimous decision win over a Mexican fighter. He got the win. He didn't get the knockout. What did you make of the performance and the fact that he returned at all? Yeah, well, he, he openly said that he wants to fight back in, in, in England and in Great Britain or whatever. And, you know, I think his opponent was very rugged and very tough. Um, I don't think he was um, he was in there to be knocked out. He wasn't in there to make the numbers up, was he? He was a, he was a tough fighter, someone who's probably been in around uh, some tough gyms. And, uh, you know, you need that win against Conor Ben. So and he's probably a bit rusty as well, isn't he? So uh, good, good for him that he got the win. But um, I, I don't like the way he goes about things at the moment, Conor Ben. You know, I was a big fan of his when he first came along, but I think he does an awful lot of talking. I know he was on with his dad talking about Chris Eubank, and I think you've got to show people a bit of respect. You know, Eubank has, has been in some tough fights recently, and uh, you know, had a great win against Liam Smith, and you got people like Conor Ben coming along and trying to take that away from him. I know you try and sell fights and promote yourself, but I think there's a way of going about things, and, um, you know, I think he needs to just sort of wind his neck in a bit because he's, he's got done there for, you know, failing drugs tests and things like that and he's never actually proved his, his innocence, has he? So, uh, be interesting to see whether he does fight in, in, in Great Britain in the near future. And if he does, the fight that could happen and Eddie Hearn is going to try and put on on December 21st, so a bit of a Christmas cracker, is the one with Chris Eubank Jr. Is that one you want to see or do you still feel that Conor Ben should be away from the boxing ring for the time being? Um... I'd like to see the fight, James. I, I like my boxing. I like big fights. I'm a big fan of big British fights. You know that. Um, I'd love to see that fight. But I think it's got to be done fairly. You know, he's got to be cleared and he, he's got to serve his punishment if he's if he's guilty of it. So you can't start bending the rules for people just because you want to see a big fight. You know, rules are there in the sport to, to be amended and to be... You know, not amended, that's the wrong word. Need, need to be there <laughs> to, to be lived by, don't they, if you know what I mean. So... Um, of course, I'd like to see that fight. And I, I think that fight's going to happen, isn't it? I think everyone wants to see it. I think Eubank wants it. I think Ben wants it as well. It'd be a travesty if it doesn't happen. So, um, so yeah, sooner sooner the better, really, if we can. Most certainly, Paul. It's going to be interesting how it all plays out. And we'll be talking all about the landscape of the boxing world this time next week. But for now, 
Me and Rob are going to talk football. Let's kick it off with Manchester United. A dramatic week. Looking at the Champions League first. Off the back of a 3-1 win against uh, loss against Brighton. Pretty poor one. We ended up 1-0 down against Bayern Munich. Then 2-0 down. And it looked like we were in for another horrifying night. Ultimately, we fought our way back. Ended up losing 4-3 in what was a pretty spectacular game. Full of twists and turns. Not the win, but we did show a bit of fighting heart. Yeah, James, obviously European football, uh, the drama of it, we you know, we were involved in the contest and that's what we want to see. We want to see Tim Hag's men competing against the very best in Europe. Um, we went down to defeat, but we're not disheartened by that. We've gone to Germany and we've given them a good game. Uh, so roll on the next one. Most certainly, Rob. And Hoyland, obviously getting a goal. What have you made of his performances so far? He's been very good so far, James. The kind of centre-forward we needed, very strong at the, on the ball, can hold the ball up, can distribute as well, has that eye of the tiger up front as well. Uh, he, his goal in Germany, he's had a couple of chances this weekend as well, so I think it's only a matter of time till he finds the net uh, and hopefully one will turn into two and then two turns into 30 because that's what Ten Hag wants. It most certainly is, Rob. And then the Burnley game, it was good to get a win in the Premier League, a 1-0 one. And before Bruno Fernandes' goal in the 45th minute, Johnny Evans put a head in, it in the back of the net, ultimately disallowed. But that was a bit of a magical, nostalgic moment. Yeah, obviously, you know, Johnny Evans coming back to Manchester United, um, you know, having his time away from the club, growing as a player. He's come back and, and started influencing matches. And that's uh, all you can ask for. Obviously, people uh, looked at his transfer in and, and thought, you know, what is Ten Hag thinking? But if he thinks that Johnny Evans can come in and, and do a job for Manchester United, uh, then that's good enough for me. He's the guy that will live and die by his decisions. Uh, obviously, the the assist uh, for Bruno Fernandes was, was fantastic. Uh, and obviously, had a goal this loud as well. So, uh, he's doing the right things for Ten Hag and hopefully that keeps his place in the team. Yeah, it probably will do, Rob. And looking at our week ahead, Manchester United have two games against Crystal Palace, one in the League Cup and the other in the Premier League. What do you make of those fixtures, Rob? And you're hoping for a cup run this season? Yeah, well, I think obviously Ten Hag wants to compete at every uh, front, doesn't he? So to get a good cup run and to be near the top of the table and to be in Europe, it will test his squad. But we're Manchester United, that's what we expect every season for every squad that we assemble. So is it going to be a test for him? It's going to be a test for the players uh, and I'm sure they're going to be ready to, to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out, Rob. Looking at this season at Chelsea, some pretty poor stuff. A 1-0 loss today against Aston Villa. Not what you want to see from a team like that. Yeah, Potocino uh, not finding the right uh, you know, mix at Chelsea. Signed a lot of players. New owner comes in and they're just not able to, to, to fix the magic. Obviously, we know Man City, when their new owners came in, it took them a while to gel. So I'm sure it's going to take... Chelsea the same amount of time but football's big big business and you know big money and you throw a lot of pennies at the problem it doesn't necessarily fix it and a big week for Manchester City a 3-1 victory in the Champions League and a 2-0 victory over Nottingham Forest as well continuing what has been a pretty spectacular start to the season for them yeah obviously Man City the juggernaut rolls on Haaland scoring goals teams dropping points around them you know it's only a if you give Man City a chance, they will be off into the sunset in no no time. So it's up to teams to keep winning to keep pace. It most certainly is, Rob, and a team that will push Manchester City to their limits. Newcastle United, the tear clash in. 
the League Cup this week, and they have just beaten Sheffield United by a margin of eight goals to nil. <laughs> so they may have the momentum going into this one. Yeah, obviously we know what Newcastle is all about. There, you know, their owners have come in, they've invested heavily, and uh, they'll be looking for a cup run. So it's up to Pep's men to to be able to muscle up and be wise enough and clever enough to beat them. But it's going to be a fantastic occasion, I'm sure. Both sets of fans will be ready for that uh, to turn it into a great occasion. And what did you make of seeing the Geordies back in the Champions League? A bit of a magical night for them against AC Milan. Yeah, obviously, you know, they are the new boys in the top four, aren't they, James? And, and they want to create memories. They want to send a message to uh, the rest of the Premier League and the world that the Geordies are there. They had a brief spell, didn't they, under Kevin Keegan and one under uh, Bobby Robson, but... You know, Eddie Howe has, has defined the uh, found the right combination uh, to really take this uh, team forward, James. With a minute to go, it's uh, really important, obviously, that the likes of Man United keep pace with the likes of Newcastle. It most certainly is, Rob. And at the moment, Manchester City, a team in form. And while this Newcastle game might be a difficult one for them, you're expecting them, I assume, to get the victory over Wolves at the weekend. Yeah, it's, it's a game that will be tricky. Uh, but, you know, if you want to be a top team in the Premier League got to win it haven't you with 30 seconds to go yeah most certainly Rob so with very little time left on the clock there's not too much we can say but bad week for Salford getting defeated by Harrogate they've got an AFL Cup game coming up against Burnley on Tuesday that's going to be a tough one for them it's going to be very tough obviously pressure is building on the Amis and they do need to find a way to get back to winning ways. Big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Solver City Radio. Don't forget, you can listen to us every Tuesday and every Wednesday on Solver City Radio talking all things sport in Salford. Big thanks. We'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat on your Solver City Radio.